0: with me, please. Father in heaven, we come and we just can feel your nearness. Father, we know that that is true. We can walk with you and talk with you. Father, when our walk and talk is right on with you, we have a relationship. We have a lifestyle. We have everything that you want from us when we're walking and talking with you. Father, tonight we just pray that your spirit just takes over, that we not only see the beauty and the the place and its measurements and all those things that we love to hear, but Lord, help us to see how important it is that this is our future, that we know it and we live like it today. It's really true how sure we are about our future. It helps us so much with our dealing with today. Tonight, Lord, we know that there are many needs, and only you know every one of them. And we are ready to take one lesson tonight and watch you meet us right where we're at. And show us that we can still have this kind of joy. Because we do not only have our eternal life started here, but we know how it's going to end so father we just give you this night and expect big things because you're a big god as we surrender and allow your spirit to remove all the things that will distract we want to hear this tonight and we will give you the praise amen all right here we go this is my bible i believe it's god's word i believe every word is true and it's all that I need. Yeah. Wouldn't you love it if I said, and now uh, we are going to have a review of chapters 6 to 20. Wouldn't you just, wouldn't you just croak? No, believe me, I, w- I won't do that. But um, we needed that. I had a lady. I had a friend. She's not just a lady. She's a wonderful friend. And she said this to me this week. I like Revelation 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 21. That's it. That's what she said. In fact, I was a little surprised she said 2 and 3 because I thought maybe it would just be 1 in 21. But I understand that. We all love those chapters, the first chapter and the 21st chapter. But, you know, let's just kind of omit that other because it's just too exhausting to try to even fathom that or try to even figure it out. And and But last week, I thought we really did a good job. I mean, we really laid it out there. And before you can have a 21, there has to be a, a purging of this world of all the stuff that would inhibit twenty-one from happening, and that's why in in six to twenty, we watched how the Lord took that judgment, which He could have in a snap of a finger judged everything. You know, once He took the scroll from the Father's hand in chapter five, He could have just changed everything and judged the world. But instead, we watched him do it so perfectly, and we we saw him do it so precisely and progressively and also with loving provisions, always making sure that there was a a provision that was causing people to see that they got to make a change. And then we watched at the end of last week's lesson, we saw that there will be a time when it is too late. And we can't pretend that that isn't going to be. And so I would just as soon, and I'm sure you would too, I would just as soon be aware of it so I can be prepared and ready and I can be going about my father's business. Because I wouldn't wish last week's lesson on anybody Not even my worst enemy. You know, when you see the opening of the seals, opening of the trumpets, and then the pouring out of those seven bowls of wrath. And to watch God's love, believe it or not, wanting not anyone to perish. So, and then I think one of the most favorite verses of last week was when, when we saw in the 20th chapter, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. I mean, did we really comprehend that? The instigator, the culprit, the one who just started that whole sin thing going we watched how that whole thing about satan from ezekiel how how he, satan was cast out of of heaven because he was thinking he was wise like god and he he wanted to share in the glory and our god doesn't and so we saw in ezekiel ezekiel just how god had him write that down and it was so clear to us but then we also saw though and even though he was cast out of heaven we saw that he still he still has access to heaven and that was that that's kind of a new thought because we don't want to think we we think heaven is is that perfect place where everything is glorious and wonderful and and kind of like what we're going to study tonight but if it was, then we wouldn't, we wouldn't have to have a new heaven. But we see how Satan in Job chapter 1, Satan goes and, the, and God says, what are you doing here? He says, well, I want to see, you know, who, who I can get. And, and then God says, have you considered my servant Job? And, and that's important to know because, you know, it shows that they're still conversing. God is still in charge. And yet he is allowing Satan to test us and then i also think you know when i hurt when 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 life is you know when life is tough and it's just plain difficult and it's just one not not my favorite time it's not the great, greatest season right now or whatever when to think that when something hurts me it hurts my savior I mean, when we think about Jesus in heaven, he knows, he watches, according to Hebrews, it says he understands he's been there. So he feels with us. So when we hurt, he hurts. And so I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking, well, you know, I don't want that going on in heaven, but that's all because of that culprit, Satan. But then we saw how last week, how in this chapter, he is he is going to be cast. We saw in chapter 20 how he's going to be thrown into that lake of sulfur. He's going to be thrown into hell. And evil will be totally, finally banished. Not a speck left. So then we can come to chapter 21. But see, now I think we, we have a real grip on. We have to have had those lessons we, we have to see what has to happen. And then, and that's just how chapter 21 starts, then, after. And, and you know, John says, right before he says then, he says, and the, it really all kind of boils down to that name written in the book. It's your name written in the book. According to 20. The end of 20, if your name is not written in the book, you too will be thrown into that same lake of fire. It's just as blunt and as clear as can be. And then today he has to, he, he talks about that again. So that whole idea about your name in the book of life is probably something you better really be thinking about. It's Probably the one of the main principles of this lesson. So now in 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, both. And the reason for that is because the first or the first earth and the first heaven have passed away. They're gone. And there was no longer any sea. You know, I don't know if you think about this. I mean, I didn't know that there was even talk in other portions of the scripture about this new heaven and a new earth. I mean, I just thought it was a Revelation 21 concept. But in Isaiah 65... The Lord has Isaiah right. Behold, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Do you realize how good that is? Because did you ever think, or I hope that you will ponder and consider, you know, when we're a part of the new heaven and the new earth, will we ever think back and think, oh, remember that day? Oh, ooh, that was a tough one. Well, but according to Isaiah 65, the Lord says to us that we will not remember, nor will it even come to mind. So remember, he is not making an, an, an old newer. I mean, he's not making a better old, you know. He's making a brand spanking new. A new heaven and a new earth—not just repairing the old, but totally, totally brand new. There is um, in 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 Second Peter. Listen, listen to what Peter writes. That the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with the roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed it's coming. The day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the eat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So Peter wrote about it in 2 Peter chapter 3. So, you know, Isaiah and 2 Peter, it's not a new concept. So when John said, then I saw, I saw the new heaven and I saw the new earth because the old is gone. We just heard it's, it's going up in a puff of smoke. And then he said, and there will be no sea. There'll be no sea. Now, for someone who loves the beach and you love to look out at the ocean and the water, maybe that's troubling to you. And you think, what? No more seaside, no more sea, no more water to look at. You know, to you it's tranquil and and it's very therapeutic and all that. But um I I don't know. I don't know. But I I did discover this week that the Hebrew mind, when they would hear about big, huge bodies of water, that automatically went negative to them because to them that meant separation. And that does make perfect sense. Wouldn't it? When he would say that there will be no more sea, he's wanting them to know that there will be no more separation. No more goodbyes. Then when you look at it, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, when we have to say goodbye to to someone. Or, you know, I remember when, when our Chad and Jody went to live in Israel for three years. And I remember watching them driving down the road. And, you know, my heart just ached because I knew that they were going to be separated, I mean, in a huge way, and I'll never forget that feeling, and I thought, you know, that came to my mind, or, you know, when when you lose someone that's so precious to you. I remember when my mom was transitioning, and they told me your mom's transitioning, and so they said talk to her. So I remember talking to her, and I remember saying, "Mom, I'm not saying goodbye to you. I'm not saying goodbye. I'm saying see you later, and I'm right behind you. I'm gonna be right behind you." She always loved it. She always loved to know that I was right behind her. I would never let her fall. And I mean, so I, you know, but it's true. There's gonna be no more goodbyes. There's not even gonna be any more see you later's. So that line is, is wonderful. It's just wonderful. There will be no more sea. I saw, I saw, John said, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. That you know how do you how do you put that into words i saw the new jerusalem do you know that the city of jerusalem is the spiritual heart the spiritual heart of the world i mean that makes sense i mean you think about how jerusalem in the old testament it was the place and and how the the tabernacle was The Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, um, where the temple was built. That is where God dwelt. It is in the center of Jerusalem. And you know from last week's lesson and from, from, you know, much of history, but especially last week's lesson, we saw what happened to that that sacred city of God, God's city. We've seen it destroyed. We've seen it rebuilt and then destroyed again. But, you know, according to last week, remember Jerusalem was the center where he put one of his provisions, you know, one of those provisions where those two witnesses, remember for three and a half years he had those two witnesses, those old prophets who stood and courageously, and with all power and authority, he just kept making sure people heard of the gospel. They preached, you know, and, and the people hated him. They hated him. And, and when, when the Antichrist came on the scene, he had them killed. He killed them. And there they laid for three and a half days. They didn't even bury him. They just thought those two men who had given three and a half years of the gospel of Christ, who preached, yes, doom. But that is is what happens when you don't listen. The consequences. So when they when they were killed, all the people had parting, gave preach other presents and everything because, you know, oh good, those two old men with downers. But then remember how it said that the breath of God breathed into them, and they rose from the dead. And those same people, their jaws probably dropped, and they watched those two men leave this earth. So we know that. Jerusalem is God's city, and it's been notorious for having high times and very low times. But John said, I saw this holy city, and it came from heaven. It's brand new, the new Jerusalem. Now, you know, is this a city coming out of the new heaven, and is this the new Jerusalem going to be the new earth? I mean, we don't know. This is all going to be something we're going to discover together but it sounds good to me. In fact, John said I don't know how else to put it, but you know how meticulous and how caring a bride is, making sure everything is just right. And he in this new Jerusalem is is just like that. It's like a bride who has prepared herself beautifully dressed for her husband. All things are ready for the big event. And then and then he said, you know, so he was watching this with his eyes, but then he said, I heard, I heard a loud voice right from the throne of God saying, so this loud voice, and you know, whether it's God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, we know it's God. And, and John heard his voice, and this voice was saying probably what I consider the, the highlight of this chapter. Oh, I know we love to, to hear about the foundations and the, and the jewels, and I, that's all wonderful, and we're not going to minimize it, but I think this verse is the greatest So when John heard this voice from the throne say, now, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse 3, I hope you circle it and underline it, because it is... In fact, I have to say, um, Charles Spurgeon is is just one of my favorites, and he he wrote something about this. And he said, this verse is the greatest glory of heaven. It's the greatest glory of heaven. It's the ultimate restoration. Restoration. Even though we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth and it's beautiful and all that, he says, but this is the ultimate restoration. So it isn't so much all the lusciousness of the grounds and the fruit, but rather that the Lord God walks in the cool of the day in the garden with you. (laughs) That's Genesis 3, by the way. I mean, before the sin, before sin came into the world, that relationship Adam and Eve had with God. And when you read that that very line, is that they were walking with God in the cool of the day. I mean, it is that dwelling, that dwelling that will never leave. You will sense his presence all the time. Only way I can really describe it is if you ever had one of those mountaintop spiritual experiences that everything went was going right. You felt him close, you loved him with all your heart, you committed your your life to him, you wanted to live for him. You just could sense it. It was that wonderful feeling that he was right there. He was walking with you and talking with you and you wanted to read your Bible. You wanted to get to know him better. You just had that ultimate desire to be as close to him as you possibly could. Oh, it's great. And you know what that affects? That affects how you think. It affects, it affects how you treat people. It affects um, well everything about you. When you're walking with the Lord, it affects everything about you how you talk, what you want to look at. It's just your priorities. And I think we've all been there, and we, we very much love that and wish we could stay there. But unfortunately, with our human nature, now I'm going to flip it and say, have you ever felt so separate from him? And you felt like he just was miles away. And you know, it's no one's fault but yours and mine. When we feel away from him, when we don't feel that close walk and talk with him, it is our fault. It's because we are not in a right space with him, and we're not in a right relationship. And it's because self has gotten in the way. And you know what? It, It affects everything then about you there too. You'll find you're crabbier, you'll find you're more negative and critical. You find that 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 there isn't. I mean, you could be in, in a wonderful experience, and everybody around you is just just loving this. You know, and maybe it's Bible study, and maybe you know you're sitting in Bible study, and and you just love the atmosphere, and and maybe you love singing the songs, or you love reading this, and. you're watching everybody else just love it and because, you know, you just are cranky. And because you just are out of sorts. Because you just don't want to go there. Because it's your call. You're sitting in Bible study and you're watching everybody else just really feel it and learn. And they're, they're geared in. And, and you're just negative and critical. And all you can do is, instead of hearing the words of the song, all you can do is shudder that maybe it wasn't your style. Or maybe it was too loud. Catch yourself, you know, catch yourself to see if, you know, in the middle of a time and experience that you could have with the Lord and you just don't go there, you don't even want to go there because you're not in that frame of mind. So what would you rather have? I mean, I'm trying to make this this comparison here because we've been at both. And we know that we can be joy killers Just because we're out of sorts, just because we're not walking with the Lord, and just because, just because, just because. (laughs) We're in our self-pity, negative, critical mood. Just think you can strip someone's joy away from them. But here, I think this is what he wants us to see, that that Someday, and this is why it's the greatest verse, because we will never have that negative, critical feeling again. We will never, ever go into that kind of attitude again. It, it, It will be no more. We will have that feeling of closeness because he will dwell with us. We will dwell with him. We are his people. He is our God. That's the relationship that's never going to change. I say big hallelujah to that. Because if I think no more self-pity, no more negative, no more critical spirit. Sounds good to me. And it all has to do with staying close and dwelling with God. It says there then that. In verse 4, I think this is the verse that we have a tendency to, to gravitate to. But I want you to take a look at verses 1 to 3 and see how, how precious and how glorious those first three verses. We're going to be a part of a brand new heaven, a brand new earth. The old is gone. The new Jerusalem, brand new Kind of reminds you of you, doesn't it? On the day of your salvation, you're not just a fixed-up old you. Old is gone. Brand new has come. We are new in Christ. We should be thinking different. We should be seeing different and hearing different because the Spirit now dwells. And so when we do fall to that other, it's no one's fault. Fault but our own. But the thing is, someday all of that will be gone. Self will be gone. <laughs> Love that. So then, when we do get to verse four, we can understand that, yeah, this is extraordinary. Because we do know how painful life can be. We know how many buckets of tears we have cried. We know how badly we have suffered and hurt. Life has been difficult. And then to hear this promise that there will be no more tears. He's going to wipe I mean, it's not that there's just going to be no more tears. It's going to be that. Remember the first chapter, we heard that all are going to mourn. At first, when we first see him, we're all going to mourn because when we see him, we're going to wish we had done and we're going to wish not that we did do. And we're going to mourn because self got in the way and we did what we should not have and we didn't do what we should have. And that's going to be a hard time. But that's all gone now, see. All of that's gone. And he, it says, he will come to your face. And he will wipe those tears. He understands. I know what you've been through. I know what you, what you dealt with. I know how your heart broke. It's just like you're going to sense Jesus saying that to you. And now I'm going to wipe them away and never, never for you to cry again. So he will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So he repeats that. He repeats that everything that you once thought of, you know, about the heaven and earth and that's all, the old is gone, but also the old you is gone. And everything that hurts you and makes you sad and, and what brings you down and all that. It's all gone. And then he goes on to say, he who was seated. John says, okay, that was an extraordinary thought, you know, and, and picturing Jesus coming, wiping all your tears away. And then he said, I saw that, but then I heard this. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Everything new. And then he said to John, and here's one of those times again where, you know, he says, you better write this down because I just know that someone is thinking right now. because you See, that's all we know. We only know tears and pain and hurt. I mean, this is life. We've never had a life without absolute absence So he said, John, you better write this down because they're going to think, ah, I don't think so. I think that's a little far fetched. I mean, I can't even fathom, I can't even imagine that. So, uh, and it's like Jesus knows us so well. So he says, John, I, I better write this down. Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. So everything that you Read from verses 1 through 4 through 5. You hear the Lord saying these words are trustworthy and they are true. You can count on them. Then he said to me, Johnson, I heard him say it is done and we've heard we heard that those three words before in a few chapters before during the judgment when when the last when the seventh angel poured out the seventh bowl of wrath and then a voice from the throne said it is done done judgment is over when Jesus said it is finished he finished his job he came the first time to save and he said it is finished I came to do the job to bring salvation to this world but then he says it is done because he comes the second time to judge it it is done i am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end to him who is thirsty to him who is thirsty i will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life that too is a verse i think that we skim over too quickly I mean, right away, we think of the physical thirst, you know, but, but it, it is good to think of that because when you are thirsty, what do you crave? You crave a drink, and Jesus is saying, do you crave me? Do you want me? And, and you know, I get asked this. You know, if we want to, if we want to know the Lord, you know, in a in a close way, like you're talking about, if, if we um, want to read our Bibles and get to know Him better, yeah. Do we pray first? That's what I get asked, and I said, you know, that all sounds well and good. Because prayer is that Holy Spirit and your spirit hooking together. So that, yeah, that, that is good. But I still say there's one thing you do even before you pray. And that is take a good look at yourself and say, do I want it bad enough? Am I thirsty enough for it? Do I desire it enough? And I don't mean to be melodramatic. I am talking to myself. I'm talking to all of you because you know, it all sounds well and good, but if you want it bad enough, you'll work at it. And what does he say? If you thirst and you desire, I'll see to it that you will drink from that water of life. And and what does that what does that make you think of? I mean, when you I mean, I think of John chapter 4. I think of that Samaritan woman, how she, you know, was walking at noon to get water. And, and Jesus takes a look at her and asks her for a drink. And, and then he says, why don't you go get your husband? I got some things to talk to you about. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, oh, yeah, you're right. You're married five times. And the one you're living with isn't your husband. I mean, he just knew her. And, and he said, but you know what? If you... If you are thirsty, I can give you water that will make you never thirst again. And in her first thought, because, see, we don't know everything all at once. That's why we have to keep learning and maturing and growing. Because we don't know everything. She didn't know what he was talking about. It sounded good to her. She wouldn't have to haul those pots all the time. And then when Jesus would talk to her, and all of a sudden her eyes, her spiritual eyes were opened and what did she do next? She ran back to the town that made her feel like a nothing. The the town that made her feel so belittled and worthless. Instead of skipping to another town and saying, good riddance to them, I'm going to, I'm gonna give this, I'm gonna give this talk to someone who deserves it. Well, you know what? She understood. They needed it. And she went back, she dared, and she had the courage and the strength to go back to that town. All because she desired, because she was thirsty, and she finally had that drink of the living water. And Jesus says that for all of us. If you want it bad enough, guess what? I'll satisfy you. You want a close walk with me? You want a relationship with me? I'll see to it that you are totally satisfied. You will see that it's not the things in this world that satisfy you. It's not even people in this world that satisfy you. It is me. I'm the one that can give you the water that you will never thirst again. But you've got to want it bad. And then verse 7, he says, he who overcomes, he who overcomes will inherit all this. So we have heard that word. Remember in Revelation 2 and 3, he said that after, you know, after he addressed every church. And he used that word overcome. If you overcome, he pretty much says, I will, so, I will make it so worth your while. So what does that mean? If you overcome what? What must we overcome? We must overcome us. I must overcome me. I must overcome my flesh. I must overcome that desire to want what I want. I must overcome getting my life so busy that I don't have time for him. I have to overcome the thought that my priority is anything but him. I have to overcome that. And you think that that's so easy? No, overcoming your own self is very difficult. But he says, I will see to it that not only do I make it worth your while, but look what he says here, I will see to it that you inherit all this. I'll see to it that you're a part of the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem and the dwelling with God and that and that feeling of being with Him all the time and you're living living on that spiritual mountaintop experience. You're close to Him. I'll see to it that you that you inherit all that. I will be your God and you will be my child. And that will never change. Wow. First seven verses. Pretty wonderful. And I think that's where we think of, when we think of Revelation 21, we think of all verses like that. But did you notice in your studying, did you notice that it's like Jesus inserted that verse 8? All of a sudden, in all of this beauty of the first seven verses, all of a sudden in verse 8, you hear like Jesus telling John, write this down. Um, but, and, and you better really underline that word, but, because it is huge. Because maybe you just need another warning. Maybe of all the warnings you've had in all of the other 66 books of the Bible, and now you're getting toward the end of the, And maybe Jesus said, you better, give them, you better give them one. Make sure they know. Because maybe there's someone that thinks they're gonna sneak in. Maybe they just can't quite accept the fact, oh, but that doesn't mean me. I mean, after all, I've just been this saintly person, such a good neighbor. I mean, you know, you can just list all the things that you've done good. Ah, absolutely, I'll get in there. And he says, but the cowardly, a gal came up to me this morning and asked me, what's coward? What does that mean, coward? Cowardly. And I said, I think he's really pinning us to the wall with that one because we can be so cowardly. I want to be like Paul when Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for the salvation of anyone who chooses to believe. And how can someone know that that's true unless we tell them that? And we're not going to tell them if we're ashamed. You're a coward. You're more consumed with what they're going to think of you than the truth. And he says, you know, I know we we all run amok with that one, but. It, I said to her, she says, but I, I am coward a lot of times. I said, are you less cowardly than you were before? Oh, yeah, I can see that. I, I said, well, that's progress. And he can see your heart. But we're talking about the person that says, no, I'm, I'm not going to talk about him. I'm not going there. Um, no one, you know, you're trying to play both sides. You're a coward, The unbelieving, the vile, the murderer, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts. You know, those first few, unless you really, really think about it, you think, oh, yeah, that is for sure. The bad people are not getting in. But I think he saved two the, for the last here in the description. And that is the idolaters and liars. And I think they go together because you are lying when you think you don't need a Savior. And self is sufficient. You're basically worshiping you. And you're lying to yourself. You're believing that lie. And you're a liar to others. So those words, he's just kind of puts those in there. Huh. Right after verse 7. And it makes you take a look. And then he says this. He says, you know, I'm not going to spare any words. I'm not going to spare one. Their place will be. Not maybe, uh, could be, better watch out. No, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. That's pretty bold. Pretty bold words there. He's not fooling around. We're, we're at the second to the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, and he's not fooling around. Now, have you ever heard the phrase, I probably have said it, but I'm going to repeat it. You know, if you have been born twice, you'll only die once. And, you, you know, you you understand that. I mean, we were physically born once, but kind of like a Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you know, when Jesus said, you must be born again. And his questions, how can that happen? And Jesus said, yep, you're born with water, but then you're born with the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit. You come to the cross, you get to know me, you are born again, and you must be born again. You must be saved. You must choose Jesus instead of yourself. And when you are born twice, you will only die once. But this verse makes it very clear that if you're just flipping and you're born once, you're gonna die twice. You're gonna die twice. This is the second death. When they thought game playing was fun and they didn't take it that serious and, you know, they didn't want anybody to think they were over-the-top religious, you know, getting a little too heavy with all this. What a bunch of excuses. Look at that verse once. The second death. Now, verse 9, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, I couldn't help but think, you know, those seven angels who had the job of the seven bowls of wrath pouring it out one at a time, that had to been an awful job. I mean, you're talking no more chances. And one after the other, first bowl, second bowl, third bowl, poured out. And then it said one of the seven angels who had that job was given the privilege to come to John and say, Come, I will show you, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb, and he carried me. So this angel has the privilege of carrying John to a place where he would never be able to see or hear or experience unless he was in the Spirit. I've said this before, how many times haven't we missed because we weren't in the spirit of God, we were in our own self, little soul, little spirit. And, and how much have we missed? Because you don't see and experience and hear this kind of thing unless you are in this spirit. That's why it's so important that we stay connected with God's spirit. We don't want to miss anything. And John was carried In the spirit, to to a mountain great and high, and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. You remember a phrase where Paul says that, and he doesn't talk about it. The Lord said, "I don't want you to talk about it." He gave John the job, but he also led Paul experience. Remember when he said he entered the third heaven. And sometimes we think that's complicated, but really, do you know that the first heaven, the first heaven, when someone says to look up to the heavens, you, you and I look up, and what's the first thing we see when we look up? And that is blue sky. I mean, on a nice day in Florida, <laughs> but, but um, anyway, you know what I'm th- what I'm saying here. The first thing when we when we look toward heaven, that's what we see. We see the sky. We see the blue sky, and then from what we're experiencing from you know so much of that space nowadays, you know, with it was even the regular natural, not just astronauts, but regular normal people, are going up into space. And and they all talk about this vast blackness. And that's the second heaven. You know, one that we can't see. We can see the first heaven, and then astronauts and people in the rockets can see the second heaven. But the third heaven is where God dwells. And John got to go there. And he was able, because he was in the spirit, he was able to see that beautiful new Jerusalem, the holy city. And look at verse 7. It shone with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel. Like a jasper, like a diamond, clear as crystal. So right away he wants you to start picturing that His first glimpse was just magnificent. It shone with the glory of God. And the only way he could describe it was a diamond that light was going through. And it was exquisite. It had had a great high wall. And right away, don't you think... now? I don't understand why we need a high wall when a wall, because see, we are just programmed to believe that walls are to keep bad out. So why would we need a high wall? Well, you know, it could just be for cosmetic reasons, so there would be gates, so that there would be ways for you and I to get from the, the new heaven to the new earth and back and forth, and and so that there would be 12 gates, 12 foundations, with the 12 tribes' names on on the gates and the 12 apostles' names on the foundations. The, there is no way, never, ever think that that great wall that's described here is to keep anything bad out. Because there is none. There is no bad. Maybe it's just to show us too that this is a, a real dimension, dimension. This is a real city. This You can see it from the way the walls are. I don't know. But it says that there is a high wall with 12 gates. 12 gates that... There are 12 angels at the gates, and the gates were on the gates were written the names of 12 tribes of Israel. Those 12 tribes are so important to God. Those 12 tribes, when you when you stop and you think about, you know, how God started this all in, in Genesis 12 with Abraham, and then we see the patriarchs, and, and then with Jacob, you know, he took his 70-member family to Egypt, you know, and and to go see Joseph. And, and it said that Jacob's name was turned to Israel. And then in the course of hundreds of years, we saw that family of 70 turn into millions. And it became a nation called the Israelites. And then those that nation of Israel is divided into 12 tribes. Every one of those tribes are so important and so important that he says, I'm putting each of the tribe on one of those gates. And then he talks about, in verse 13, there will be three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. So this gray wall is going to have three gates in every direction. But, of course, we have heard that all of those were... People are going to be coming from every direction. Salvation is offered to anyone in this world who will believe. And they will, they will have all of this inherited to them as well. It isn't just a United States or a North America or whatever. No, this is worldwide. And to think that those 12 gates and three on each side... The wall, verse fourteen. The wall of this city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Boy, pretty twelve strong foundations. Do you do you think that when John got when he was looking around, he saw the twelve tribes, saw their names on the gates, and and then and then he was looking at the foundations. Do you think that oh, there's my name. There's my name. You know and then and we don't know. We don't know who, you know, the 12 apostles are probably the 12 disciples. You know, that's just an automatic. But then what is it? Judas is His name going to be or is it going to be Matthias? I don't know. Guess what? I'm going to check it out, aren't you? Just think that's real. I'm not even being silly. We can check it out. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod. Of gold to measure this city, its gates and its walls. So now we have an angel that is saying, "I got, I got a tape measure here, and I'm going to show you. I'm going to lay this out. I want to, I want you to see how real it is. I want to, I want you to see the dimensions. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide." He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, width, height, depth. Basically, it's a cube. And to know that that 12,000 stadia, which is 1,400 miles, it is whether you want to measure the height, the width, the depth, you know, it is one huge cube. But I thought to myself... Yeah, you know, it's pretty big. There's going to be room for all those who need to enter. But then I went back. I went back to John's gospel, and you know that as well as I do. Remember when Jesus talked about wide is the gate and narrow is the way? And then when he closed that phrase, those phrases by saying, and few there be that find it so maybe you're looking at that and think well you know that that sounds big and there there will be room for everybody plenty of room for everybody but remember he's the one himself that said few there be that really find it but i can't help but say right now aren't you just thrilled to your socks that you know you're one of the few if you absolutely have no doubt about your salvation because you can remember that humbling walk to Calvary and you are watching the Holy Spirit transform you, if you can honestly say that, you know you're one of the few. What a way to live! He measured its wall. He also measured, the angel measured the wall. So, he, you know, he measured the height and the width and the depth, and, you know. But he also measured the wall in 144 cubits, which is 200 feet. But, but make no mistake, he measured with man's measurement. That's what the angel was using in verse 17. He's using this so that we can at least get, get some handle. So uh, every one of these 12 gates is 200 feet thick. Think about that, 200 feet thick. Now, if you've done Revelation before, I think this is probably one of the most priceless Um Uh, dimensions for you to remember and we'll get to that so just remember that those gates the gates that you and I are going to be able to walk through in and out those doors will never be shut we will have access continuously just park that for a second the wall was made of jasper a city of pure gold, as pure as glass. I think we hear that a lot about, you know, that transparency so that you will see the reflection. I think it just is, you know, going all over the place because it's reflecting from this and that. And The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every precious stone. So every one of those foundations had the apostle's name on it, but also it had a decoration of some gorgeous jewel. Now, some of them I understand and know the color of, but it just got my curiosity because I don't know how to pronounce most of them. But I wanted to know because he distinctly put a different gem, a different jewel on every foundation. So one foundation was, well, he said a jasper. That was like a diamond. The second one was a sapphire. We know that. The third one, I didn't know this one. It's a gorgeous sky blue color. The fourth was an emerald. We know that. The fifth one, I didn't know either. It's light to dark brown in color. Sixth was, was red in color, a deep red. Seven was a yellowish green. Now, eight, it said the eighth was beryl, B-E-R-Y-L. I had no idea what that was, and, and so I looked it up, and it is a hexagon crystal, which will reflect green, blue, yellow, red, pink, white, purple, and orange. Huh, I'd say that's pretty beautiful. And then the ninth was a topaz, and I'm, I mean, I know that yellow to goldish color, but I did know this about topaz. It, that, that gem is really colorless, but because of certain specks in it, and the way their light reflects, it gives the appearance of yellowish gold. The tenth was mainly... Uh, an apple green. So, I mean, you know, we've got the emerald, and we, we've got the yellow green, and now we have an apple green. So green must be a really good color. Leaven was a red, orange, yellow kind of mixture, and then the 10th, of course, was purple. So those were the gems that each gem decorated a foundation And then in verse 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. Now, remember, I told you to park in your mind. These gates are, what, 200 feet thick, and every one of those gates is made out of one pearl and And you know stretch your mind a little bit, you know, think about okay, how do we get pearl anyway? Well, we get a pearl because an oyster is 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 suffering because of some little speck of sand that's driving him crazy and 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 he's and more than that it's hurting him he's suffering that poor that poor oyster is suffering, and the Lord has miraculously given him the ability to spin pearl so that he can keep circling that suffering until he doesn't feel it anymore. I mean, we all understand that concept. Well, when you think about these gates being made out of one pearl, that means that is a pretty big pearl. And why the gates, why are the gates made out of pearl is because I think we are going to be going through back and forth, but never once are we ever to forget that the only reason we're there is because of the suffering of our Savior for you and me. We are not privileged to be there for any other reason but for him. And it will just be a constant reminder, just like remember his scars in his hands and his feet. That we will see there. Now we see the gates made out of pearl, just always reminding us. The great street of the city was pure of pure gold, like transparent glass. I did not see a temple, John says. I did not see a temple in the city because we don't need a building anymore. We don't need a dwelling like a Holy of Holies or a, even a temple or a tabernacle or an Ark of the Covenant. We don't need that anymore. In the new heaven, we... We don't need a temple because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light and the Lamb is its lamp. Can't even fathom, can you, that kind of light? No more electricity. No more flipping switches. No more burned out light bulbs. I mean, I don't mean to be silly, but I mean to tell you, there is just no more sun, moon, and stars. That's even, even more miraculous. Because of the fact that God is all the light and the, and the glory that we need. Look at verse 24. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. That stopped me in my tracks. I'm thinking, wait a minute. But then I think, well, you know, what did he say about the, you know, the twelve, the you know, the twelve gates, three on each side. I mean, there's going to be nations coming in from everywhere, and then I started thinking, well. In the new heaven and new earth, we can have nations, we can have kings, we can, or we can have leaders. Because it says right there, the nations will walk by his light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. But it's all going to be geared toward the king of Kings. Every nation, there isn't going to be a nation. Remember when we did Daniel and all these world powers, you know, the problem why they went down is because everyone thought that they were bigger than God. And we saw last week when we talked about Babylon, when we talked about Babylon, and then how Babylon in John's day was Rome, and how the Babylon in our day is our world system. And then we know that the Babylon in the tribulation is going to be the Antichrist. And everyone is going down because everyone thought that they could handle life on their own. They didn't need him. But could we have nations and kings? But it's all going to be geared toward the one and only king. I don't know. It's a mystery. I'm going to check that out too. I'm sure you will too. Now, the glory, well, verse 25, on no day will its gates ever be shut. For there will be no night there." there. There's no night to be fearful of. There's no criminals that might sneak in. There is no evil anymore. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. You know, that all sounds just so wonderful. But then again, he sticks this verse 27 in there just before he closes this chapter. Just remember, nothing impure will ever enter it. Nothing impure. So, you know, like that parable, remember when Jesus said that, that that man tried to sneak in wearing the wrong clothes? Didn't have the, he didn't have the wedding clothes on, but he thought he could come anyway. No, it doesn't work that way. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. They're not getting in. And don't be surprised. Don't take that and in, 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 drop your jaw and say, what? No, you've been worn plenty. This is not new. But in his love and his mercy and his grace, he's just saying, just while you got time, make sure you know you're not getting in any other way. You know, maybe, maybe it's time for me, just, you know, we we love knowing heaven is a real place. We we love it. We love thinking the new heaven and the new earth. We love thinking that those are real places, and we know because the words here are trustworthy and true. But and I don't mean to be a downer, but I think we have to go through Scripture and say, but hell is a real place too. And so I'm going to, com- I'm going to show you the comparison from Scripture. We have heard from this chapter that in heaven there will be no death, no mourning, no pain, no suffering. But yet scripture tells us that in hell there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So when do you gnash your teeth? When when you're in your worst suffering, when it hurts worst. Another thing we learned from heaven from this chapter is that there's a secure wall that no, we're not going to need it to, to keep evil out. But it is a secure wall because God's presence is there. It's strong and it's got 12 foundations. It's stable. It's not going anywhere. And what do we know? What does scripture tell us about hell? It's a bottomless pit. I mean, have you ever had the sensation of falling? It's horrible. You're insecure. It's a bottomless pit. You've got that sensation of falling all the time. <laughs> Just the opposite. Third, Third. we learn from this chapter that heaven is filled with light and God's glory. That, that's all, all we need. It's going to be so light. And what does Scripture tell us about hell? It is going to be completely dark. You can't see a thing. And then we know that, you know, from last week in in Revelation 19 about the wedding feast, you know, the great feast of the lamb and the bride. And it's going to be a wedding. I said, remember, that's the wedding we do not want to miss. I mean, Jesus loved fellowship. He loved eating, not so much for the food, but he loved what it did. It brought everybody together. And the thing is, you know what we're hearing today? I remember Tom told me on the way home from um, last night's Bible study, he said, you know, he'll watch a Western every now and then, and he will hear those cowboys. And he says he'll never, you know, it now registers to him now. You know, usually you think it's just cowboy talk, but those cowboys said, well, we'll see you in hell. Terrible. Or have you heard someone say, I don't want to go to heaven. How boring is that? I'm going to hell with my friends. We're going to party there. I mean, it, it, just, it just creeps the hair on my arms when I think they have no idea. You know, we, we've been talking about the fellowship and the wedding feast and the dwelling with God and all that kind of thing. And, and this is how they're believing the liar thinking they're going to party there. Let me tell you, it's not only dark, but they're going to be all alone. They're suffering it all by themselves. And we know what loneliness is. And then we saw in this week's lesson how, how satisfied, how totally, completely satisfied we will be. And in hell... You will never be satisfied because you will have that eternal thirst that will never be satisfied. How horrible. And then we learn that in heaven... We will dwell with God. I'm sure we will be doing a lot of things, but we will always be sensing his presence. We will never be away from him. He will be walking and talking with us in the cool of the day. I mean, it's, you know, and yet we'll be busy doing all of our tasks, and I think it's just going to be beyond words. But most of all, we will sense him all the time. The way he said They will be my people, and I will be their God. She will be my child. So that relationship will never be broken. But in hell, what do we learn? They will be eternally separated from God, and that should make a big difference. In how we view and what we do with our today. He ends this chapter of verse 27. He ends this chapter of 21, verse 27. He says, okay, I want you to know only those, only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. See, I told you, tonight the main emphasis is, oh, we loved hearing about heaven. Yeah, we did. But the emphasis of this, don't kid yourself, this chapter is in here, yes, to give us that, that glimpse, to see the dimensions, to, to, to really, you know, really love this and look forward to this. But like I said, don't kid yourself. He is saying you better take a look. Are you sure? Your name's in the book of life. Because the way it sounds from, the, from these verses, that that's what's going to be checked. So do you know, I don't want anybody to leave in tonight if they have a, even a speck of doubt. Because it's the all-important thing. It's going to be checked. So how can you know that sure? How can you be that sure about that? And he has made it so simple for all of us. It's simple, but it's not easy to do because you got to let go of you. And you do come to Christ, and you do look at the cross, and you do accept his, his provision of salvation through his blood. And you do have to see yourself the way you truly are. It's Just like we need chapters 6 to 20 to get us to 21. We have to experience the cross in a very humbling way. But then we know that our name is in the book of life. To me, I think that's what he wants us to live in. That kind of glory now. To know that someday then we will view all his glory. In all of his fullness. Someday. Heavenly Father, what can I say? You know just what to tell us. And, Lord, we just praise you for loving us so much when we didn't deserve it at all, and yet we have all this. If we just overcome our own self and we're willing to accept what you've come to do for us, Father, we will inherit all this. This will be ours No more goodbyes. We will be together with all of our loved ones. We will be there. All those who have gone before, who have loved you and have accepted you, we will be together worshiping, living out the new heaven and new earth and our Savior. Oh, it's just what a great way to live And Father, we know it's all because of your grace. And we pray this all in our Savior's name. Amen.